Hey, thanks so much for choosing the Haven House of Revival Sermon of the Week. We pray that this sermon impacts your heart and it inspires you to change your life and the world around you for God. Please enjoy the message. All right, so, Father, I just thank you for Justin and I thank you for the word that's on his heart and even just for this um, series that we're starting this morning on identity. Father, would you just release revelation in this room? I thank you just for the desire for for us as a congregation to walk as sons and daughters, to walk as ones who know who we are. And would this be a season of discovery in that? So would you give Justin the words for this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Whew, I needed that. Thank the Lord for people who love to pray. Amen? Okay, some of you don't get it because you don't have kids screaming at you while you're trying to worship. <laughs> Come on, the parents are laughing. They get me. Man, this morning it was like, it was great. And then right when communion hit, it was like chaos. Can I be honest? It's like not every day is like the best worship experience. You're just fighting the chaos of children to get there. <sighs> but it's still good. Hasn't it been a good morning so far? Okay, five of you think it's been a good morning. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. Yeah, come on. All right. This week's been a weird one for me. It's been a tough one. But I know, like in hindsight, in the moment, I'm just forgetting what's happening this weekend and, um, and what I'm bringing today and bring us into. But, um, you know, it's been a tough one. And it's, you know, in this moment, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why it's been tough. Because we're going to get into this series that we think is going to transform us as a city and transform us as a, as a culture and transform us as a house, a family together. Um, and I'm going to address something in the city that I think needs to be addressed already. And, um, and I believe the Lord is uh, making that timely. And I think that's why I've had such a crazy week this week. So here's the, the reality. Today's not going to necessarily be your favorite Justin message of all time, but it's going to be an important one and hopefully a marking one for you and for me. I know it is for me. So we start this sermon. You're going to get a kind of a double-edged sermon this morning. You're going to get two sermons in one, plus you've had Jeff's and then a mini one for me already as well. So you're going to get four sermons this morning. I hope you brought your journals to take notes. Okay, nobody's laughing at that. Okay, when you give preachers a microphone, it's hard to get, make a shut up, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're getting, so identity. So we're starting this series on, can we get the slide up there, Lindy? So we're starting this series on identity, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you why we're getting into identity, what we're going to talk about over the next several months, uh-oh, months, plural, of identity, why it's getting broken up like that, and why this is so important for you. So we were praying as a staff in January, and um, you'll know this if you're with us since January, that we really felt the Lord impress upon us two core values that he said are going to be the hub, the, the hub of the wheel that drives Haven as a family. And we believe those two things are going to be equipping and worship. And we gathered again, as Amanda and I took over leadership in the summer, we gathered with our staff. We said, are these still the hub? It's like, it's been a season and we felt kind of like here, then there. And, and here we are in this new transition again. We've changed buildings and then now leadership. And what does that look like, Lord? Is this still your call? And he said to us, yes. 
which is encouraging, right? That his word is still solid. He's steadfast. He's still speaking to us. And we discovered that this word equipping had a definition that we didn't have yet. Like we didn't, we didn't really know. Like one of the staff said, I'm not even sure if equipping is like really us. We don't do anything for that right now. And, and I said, well, is it, is it something that we do or is it something that we need to understand before we do it? Because right now we're trying to reach for something we may, maybe don't even have a definition for. And so we prayed and we, we sought the Lord for a definition. And, and this is the definition he gave us for our house, okay, for Haven. We believe equipping is done through the body, done through the body. Everybody know what the body is? The body of Christ. Us, okay, done through the body, knowing their identity, taking ownership of it, internalizing the knowledge of what, who they are, okay, for continual transformation, in turn to go out and expand the kingdom. This sounds like the Great Commission, doesn't it? The, the root of this is knowing our identity. If you don't know your identity, and here's what we feel has happened in our community, we easily can gather around the presence of God in this place. We have anointed worship, amen? And anointed worship leaders. It's easy to experience the presence of God in this house. It's easy. But often, if you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do with it. So you have this great encounter, and you're like, awesome. But you don't know what's next. So you get home Sunday afternoon, you forget 99% of the message, which is okay. I know that's the stat, and that's okay. Only 2% of you are going to walk out of here with something today, and that's okay. I'm okay with it. We're still going to do it, okay? But it's important that you understand the reason why you don't know what to do with it is because you probably don't really know who you are yet. And so what happens, and this is the stats in church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's the average. 20% of the people give 80% of the funds. Those are the two statistics. In most churches, it's worse than that. It's like 5%. And if you go to a big church, like if you've ever been to a mega church in the States, I can guarantee you that it's less than that. And that actually the only people really doing the work are the ones getting a paycheck for it. That's not really family. Can I tell you as a dad, as a father, I don't get paid to wipe my kids' butts. I don't. Yeah, Andrew knows what it's like, right? Mom's in the house. Come on, it's a thankless job. But we do it by choice as a part of the family. That's our role. That's who we're called to be. We've chosen to actually say yes to the call of fatherhood and motherhood. It's a choice, right? And so when I understand that I'm, I've chosen to be a father, I try and operate like a better father. But if I don't know if, if I'm a father at all, I'm not even going to try. And so then I, I get this great fatherhood sermon and yeah, that, oh, this great image of a father who wants to men mentor me or whatever. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. But then I do nothing with it. Why? Because I don't know what, what I would do with any of the information. It's all head knowledge. I've heard this word from the Lord this morning. It's like we've fattened ourselves on ourselves. Right? We've, we're fed up on ourselves, and we're so fat we can't move because we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing. So you fill, we've filled ourselves with knowledge of all these other parts of the body, but we don't even know what we are, so we're just stagnant. And we're like the fatty leg, right? Right? 
people don't like that analogy. Look, I was overweight, like obese, overweight for some time. Okay. I know what this is like. For those of you who have been, some of you might not believe me right now, but my wife can attest to this. I wish I had a picture to show you. Joel has seen pictures. Okay. 300 pound Justin is not a happy looking guy. All right. I'm serious. So I know what it's like to be fat and immobile. Okay. I'm serious. Some of you guys don't like this analogy. I'm like touching some nerves here this morning. It's okay. I've been you. I have been. And I know the struggles of it because you get into it. This is what happens. You get into it and you don't know how to get out of it. It's a cycle. But I'm here to tell you that I can help you get out of it today. Okay? Whether this is a spiritual thing or a physical thing. You want some advice on how to lose weight? I'll come and tell you how to lose weight, okay? It's, it was hard for me, right, Amanda? It's been a hard, long journey. I'm still not the person that I want to be. But isn't that an image of us in the kingdom? We find out who we want to be, the, who God calls us to be, and then we chase after that relentlessly. Relentlessly. Isn't it beautiful how the Lord gives us in the natural pictures of the supernatural? I love it. Okay. All right. So we, we need to understand what it, um, who we are so that we can have long-term success. And what's the word I wrote here? I'm just looking forward to it. It's at the other end of my notes here. So you can have long-term effectiveness in the kingdom. Because if you're the head and you're trying to be the leg, you're in the wrong place trying to do the wrong thing. Let me tell you, a head is not as good at kicking a soccer ball as the foot. Am I right? Hurts a lot more. Some people are good at it, but I don't suggest it all the time, okay? This is what Paul says. We're going to jump into there right now. I'm, going to, I'm flipping on my sermon. I'm flipping it up on its edge because I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 12. Open your Bibles. How many people have their physical Bibles here? Because you know I relentlessly hound you to bring your physical Bibles and your journals, okay? This is important because we're setting a framework for this whole series today, okay? 1 Corinthians 12. I'm relentless. Do I need to tell you why you need a physical Bible and a journal? My wife is saying no. She doesn't want to make this message any heavier than it already is. I will refrain from it right now. For you, wife. You're welcome. All right, verse 12. For just as the body is in one, and I'm going to read this whole thing because I think it's important. For just as the body is in one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Amen? For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many body parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no, feet, no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the... Can I just get an amen for that? Come on. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Amen? Come on. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, the greater honor. Amen? 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that he lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you still a more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? That pretty much sums up my whole message. Thank you, Paul. I'm just kidding. I'll still get into it with you. Okay, so here's what I want to say as we step into identity. You can expect that every week there are going to be lies we dispel in your life. And this is why you need a journal, because this is gonna, we're going to spend the first bunch of weeks, if I can get the graphic up there, Lindy, the first couple of weeks, we're going to start on sons and daughters, being a son and daughter, okay? Then we're going to get into fatherhood and motherhood, saints and priests. And then we're going to actually, we're going to add one in there, the eighth one, which is our authority. And these are all the foundations of our identity. It doesn't separate any of you. All of you have these things. So we're going to spend the first half of this series on things that we can all absorb, as, G- as Jeff told, talked about today with Jesus. These are parts of what Jesus displayed to us as things that we can actually take hold of and grow in all of us. Amen? And then we're going to get into the different parts of the body with the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of Jesus, our anointings, and our callings, and our destinies. Come on, how many people are excited about their destiny this morning? Okay, five of you are excited about your destiny. Hopefully by the end of this series, you'll all be excited about destiny. Because you all have a destiny. Come on. You have been ordained by Jesus with a destiny. Come on. That's a good news right there. You're not purposeless. You may think you're purposeless, but your identity is clear. You have a purpose and a calling. Amen? Okay, so here's what I want to say about the framework for our identity. Your identity is not what you feel, what you do, or what you think. That's, you got to write that down. I am not what I feel, what I do, or what I think. That doesn't define me. What does define you? Who you're called. What God says you are. Who God says you are how God says you are. It's about his voice, not yours. And the thing that's beautiful about the scriptures is that it emphasizes this. What we think is what we are. Can I get into it here? Matthew 12, 34, Jesus talking. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. So what you think and believe in your heart, your mouth speaks. You declare over yourself what you think of yourself. So it's not what you say that defines you, although what you say defines what you believe about yourself. Are you with me? It's not what you do that defines you, but what you do defines what you believe about yourself. How you act, how you behave with other people shows us what's in your heart. 
Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This is what 2 Corinthians 3, 18, if you're a part of the GPH, oh, YWAM Selah movement. How many people know GPH just changed their name or they're changing it on Tuesday officially? YWAM Selah, so good. This is one of their core things. You become what you behold. That's a paraphrase of 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Amen? You become what you behold. That's important. Romans 12.2 says this, do not be conformed by this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Look, if this wasn't important, Paul wouldn't reemphasize this like in every book that he wrote. Your mind, what you believe about yourself, this is what, how you define yourself, your personal beliefs. This is what you find your identity in. How many people understand that there's a whole lot of people in this world that are confused about who they are right now? Yeah, how do we know that? Because they say things like, well, I feel this way, so I must be this. How do we know that's wrong? Look, stats tell us it's wrong. That, look, if you feel a certain way and you try and behave the way that you feel, it doesn't lead you into solid identity. It doesn't lead you into solid life. It doesn't lead you into healthy actions or healthy lifestyles. I can tell you this because the stat, and I'm, I'm just going to burst some bubbles. I mean, you've probably heard the stat already. I know most of you already follow this kind of stuff. But can I tell you the suicide rate in trans people, people who say, I feel a way, and so I am this way, is somewhere between in the neighborhood of 20 to 40%. This is attempted suicides. This is not thoughts of suicide. Attempted suicide. That's a scary stat. Because can I tell you Canada's stat from 2020? 0.3% of people in Canada attempted suicide in 2020 as a whole. So of that 0.3%, 20 to 40% of those people, or 20 to 40% of their community, of their belief system, of how they live, are attempting suicide. That tells you that no matter if you try and change the way you are because of your feeling, that it doesn't actually help you. There's a confusion there, and that's why they're trying to end their life. Are you with me? Look, and I'm not saying that we all get it. Oh, hallelujah, we're better than them. No, we're not better than them. There's still that 0.3% of us in Canada. This is still an epidemic. That's still a large percentage point. And the, and the epidemic has nothing to do... Let me just think about this before I say it. Has nothing to do with us changing who we are based on our feelings or our thoughts, but actually changing how we think and then trying to live what God says we are. Are you with me? So you're not what you feel or you do or you think. You are who he says you are, and your actions and your words reflect who you believe you already are. This is what Jesus says. This is what I was going to open with, but this is where we're going to end with today in this part of my message. Jesus says it this way. He says in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, he said, this is the great and first commandment. You shall love your... Oh, sorry. This is the greatest and first commandment. Okay, I'm just going to open it and read it. Here we go. Flip to Matthew with me. We'll get there. 
Anybody there? Matthew 22. Yeah. Here we go. Verse 37. And he said to him, the teacher of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The Pharisee, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they were asking him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So Jesus says this, love God and love others as yourself. And here's what we miss in that often in the church. The others as yourself part. Look, we don't like to say this, but if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. If you don't know who you are, you're seeking to find fulfillment and love of self by changing who you are to make it fit a thing, blah, 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 and you end up just seeking for that to find your love of yourself. And so you keep transforming and changing and trying to find it and you never land anywhere. And you're just constantly in motion looking for something that's already been set out for you. But Jesus said, if you learn to love the Lord and then love yourself, and let me add this in, in the identity of the Lord that he's established for you, then you can love others as Jesus loved them. Because how many people know Jesus knew who he was? Come on. Can I get an amen? amen? Like he wasn't confused. He knew he was the son of God, right? So he knows who he is. So if Jesus is our example, we should know who we are. In who? In him. In the father. The father tells us who we are. So we don't believe what we think we are. We don't believe what other people think we are. We don't believe what we feel we are. Look, if I went off my feelings all the time, like I get hungry pretty often, okay? My wife's laughing. She knows she lives with me, right? Like I could get pretty confused, right? It's true. So I don't go off my feet. Look, look, this morning I was freaking distracted and I was frustrated and I was blah, 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 blah. But that's not who I am. Yeah, amen. Because then I'd be bitter and I'd be angry and I'd be... I'd be horrible. Like, praise the Lord. I can rely on his joy as my strength, not my bitterness as my strength. Amen? Okay, only Maria agrees with me. Thanks, Maria. (laughs) Uh, Praise the Lord. I can rely on his joy for my strength, not my bitterness. Not my anger, not my distraction, not my feelings, not my emotions. Emotions are great. They tell you what's happening, not so that you can dwell on them and become them, so that you can change what's going on in your head, so that you can actually walk out the thing that will actually change you. These are called habits, right? Okay, all right. So you need to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And then you need to love yourself. This is why identity is so important. So that you can love others. You can love the Lord and still love others. But I'm telling you, you will not love them fully and rightly the way that Jesus loves them until you learn to love yourself. And this is why this is so important. Okay. 
Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your, and lean not on your own, come on, you all know it, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Awesome. So why identity? Because this is going to help you make straight your paths. You're going to be able to know, hey, I'm this, I'm the leg, I'm the arm, I'm the head, I'm the ear, I'm the whatever you are. And then you can actually say, okay, now I don't need to get fat and lethargic on my knowledge of what everybody else is doing, but I'm going to hone in on what I'm doing, who I am, and I'm going to run after who I am as hard as I can. I'm going to lose all this weight, right? Come on, hallelujah. Some of you are like, I don't like running, Justin. I'm like, I know, I get it, but it's good for you. What do you say, Dwayne? That's right. Okay, and then we can run after who we are and we can be effective in the kingdom. How many people want to be effective in the kingdom? Awesome. Can I tell you, this is how, I'm, how I think. It's important to know who you are so you can run in your lane. Because here's what it, it does. It dispels competition, right? If I'm worried because I don't get as much prophetic words as Joel or Dwayne or put in prophet there that you idolize or admire, I'm going to be like, Lord, okay, like I see Joel and he's so effective and he's so good at this. And I'm going to get stressed that I'm not him. Yes, I am not him. Amen. We don't need two Joels or two Dwayne's. You guys don't even need two of me. Okay. Like I'm more than enough. You're like, yes, you are. Like, Hallelujah. Right. And you're more than enough. Look, the Lord has already established in this room and in our community and in our family all the parts of the body that we need to get in motion here. But you just need to know who you are so that you can get in motion. How many people want to get in motion? You don't need to worry. You know, I think about people like who, Peyton. How many people know Peyton? Maria's daughter-in-law. She is like a prophetic evangelist and she could get a word at any time of any day for any person but she just loves to preach the gospel. So she'll just be in conversation with anybody at any time and just tell them about Jesus and how much he loves them. Look, I'm not, you know, Jeff does the same thing. This is Jeff. I'm out here taking all of your stuff because I'm a bailiff. And oh, you have a hurt knee? Let me pray for you. Jesus loves you even though I'm taking your car. Okay, <laughs> like he loves it. That's who he is. He's an evangelist. I don't need to try and be Jeff. Look, this is also Jeff. We're trying to go over what's happening in the Sunday service. And where's Jeff? Every Sunday, talking to one of you. Why? Because he loves you on a different level than I do. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I still love you. I just love you differently than him. And it's okay. I don't have shame in that. I don't have shame in that. And I don't try and be him. Because if I tried to be him, you would get none of me. You would. I'd be so spread thin trying to be somebody I'm not, I'd fall apart. And this place would fall apart. That's not my job. Right? Are you following me? If you try to be me, we're in trouble. I already said there's more than enough of me here. Okay? All right. Are you with me? So this is why we have to know our identity. Okay, we're going to transition to the second part of my message. 
So this, that's the framework, sorry, that's the framework of identity. So every week, you can expect that you need to bring your journals and your Bibles, and you can expect to take notes. Next week, we get into sonship. Is it you, Wendy, or Jeff that's starting? Jeff that's starting on sonship. It's important you know that you're a son or a daughter, right? And it's important that you know how you function. Because here's the thing about sonship. It gives you the foundation under your feet. Sonship is the foundation of identity. It's your position. So it's super important. So please come next week. Hear that. It's going to be really good. Okay, here we go. So you can expect that, and then we will get through all of these things. This is the reason we're doing it as a sermon series, not a Bible study, is because this is how we meet right now as a people, as Haven, okay? This is what we have capacity to do as a staff, as we're transitioning, as we're working on this building still, as we're building community. This is the most efficient, effective way right now to teach on this and to make a cultural statement of our identity. Cool? So that's why we're approaching it from a sermon series. At some point, there will be Bible studies on this, and you can look forward to that in the future. But you get to take this in now. Isn't this exciting? Come on. How many people understand that we're at the beginning of a season as Haven? Like, you're the founders with us. You get to be a part of this. If, look, I'm excited about it. I, I'll have enough excitement for all of you, but we're like the forefront of a revival season that the earth has never seen. We believe that. And why do we believe that? Not just because of what God's saying to us, but because of what he's saying to other churches across the globe. How many, I've said this over and over again. How many people understand that Bethel, one of the biggest movements in the world right now, is arising and building a facility far beyond their capacity? And look, they bring in a lot of money, but $100 million is a lot of money even for Bethel. And they're building a $100 million facility to transform themselves to be ready for the harvest coming. How many people know Upper Room in Dallas, Texas? They're doing the same thing. Not $100 million, but something way out of their scope of finances. How many people know Jesus Image in Orlando, Florida? They're doing the same thing. The Lord has established that we are to arise and build in this season as a church. And he's speaking to different people and saying, get ready. Look, we're on the foundations. We're in the starting places. How many people know there was no such thing as the barn two years ago? And now it's becoming a movement. There are people who are like hearing about it. And they're like, oh man, I hear about like God's deliverance and the prophetic ministry and this culture that you're making. And we want to be in on it. We want to see, hey, come visit us. In Africa, Dwayne, is that where you're going to try and get to? In Africa, people online are like jacked about it. That's exciting, right? Like, Look, we're on, the, like, we're on the ground level of something here. That should excite us. And so when we're on the ground level, we're going to establish the foundations. Amen? So we're doing that in identity. Okay, I'm going to get over here because 1221, we got to get into the next part. So here's the next thing that I felt to address. How many people know what principalities are? Some of the room. Okay principalities are important for us to understand and address. And I was speaking to a spiritual father of mine and we were talking about Haven and we we're talking about just how this all started and where we came from. And, and he, he poignantly said this word to me. And, and he said, Justin, do you know that you guys were birthed from this unintentionally and that it still is in your family and you need to figure out how to take care of this. And what I realized when he told me the word and, and what was happening was that 
I started putting pieces together because I've only been in Medicine Hat for three years. And I started putting pieces together of the things that I felt when I entered the city. And I started trying to do ministry here. And I started trying to create a family and establish foundations in my own life here. And as a, as a church family, as a leadership team, what we were coming up against, and I said, oh, it was this aha revelation moment. Light bulb went off. Oh, this is the principality of the city. This is the principality of the city. And, and it's not just our house that lives in it. We, we lived in it unintentionally. And I'm not saying that we operate out of this all the time. I'm saying it affects how we operate because it affects how we behave because the principalities, and I'll get into this in a minute, Chris Valentin says it really well, actually affects what you believe and how many people understand what you believe affects how you behave, right? I just said this. And so when I had that aha moment, it made me understand why there has been so much difficulty in the city. Because these people who've tried to come in and do ministry come in under the influence of this principality and it affects what they believe and then they behave wrongly. They're greatly anointed people. Like I can count like a dozen church pastors who've come into the city and they come in and they're anointed and they're called and they're favored and then they fall. And it's like, why, Lord? Look, I've been to other parts of this country and other parts of this world. There's nowhere like Medicine Hat. Andrew knows. There is no place anointed with so many anointed people, with so many anointed prophetic worship leaders. Look, we have like six in our church alone. Do you know how many people would kill, literally physically kill somebody to take their worship leader? I can tell you it's a lot because it's hard to find talented and anointed and gifted worship leaders that actually love Jesus with their whole heart more than they love their gifting and their anointing. Look, it's a price. But in this city, there's six in our church. There's at least one in every other church, at least, even in the Reformed Church. It's insane. Look, in Ontario, I come from the greater Toronto area. It doesn't exist there. Most of the talented people have no anointing. Why? Because they prefer their talent over their relationship with Jesus. And it's created an infested, disgusting culture of worship in their city. And it's not being addressed. And so there's few of them who are actually anointed. And they don't get the platform because maybe they're not gifted enough. Because maybe they're a little bit too raw. They're not like as polished as they could be. Look, it's not just worship leaders. It's prophets. Every church in this city has a prophet. I have never been to a Lutheran church where the pastor speaks in tongues openly and prophesies. Get out of here. That's incredible. Like, I'm passionate about this. They're not like that. If you meet most Lutherans, Salvation Army, same thing. Get out of here. It doesn't exist. It's unique. So you wonder why there's been so much opposition in this place. Because the Lord has his hand on this place. Great light has great darkness opposing it. And the light shines brighter in the darkness. So that's why the nickname of Medicine Hat to the world is the Gates of Hell. Have you seen that spray painted on our city walls? Yeah. But meanwhile, 
there's all of this anointing and grace and favor over the churches in the city and over the ministries in the city. Come on, Nehemiah Project once a year raises between fifty dollars and $100,000 in one event. I've never heard of that in a town of 68,000 people. Look, the city of Toronto can't even put that together in fundraisers. They just can't. A hundred grand? You don't believe me. Go, ask the people who are coming from other places. There are people moving here because they know there's something special in this. I unintentionally fell into it and I thank the Lord for his grace. Like humbly, we just came here on obedience. We didn't know what we were walking into. It's beautiful. But here's the, the opposition of the city. Okay, this... Principalities, I want to get back to that. This is what Chris Vallotton, how he defines principalities. I think it's a good word. This is a Facebook post from 2012 that's got him a lot of controversy, but I think it's true and great. So here it is. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. How many people know Paul said that? But against principalities. The Greek word principality comes from the word origin or teaching. In other words, demonic principalities teach people what to think. What you believe is how you act, right? The results in, this results in global mindsets that are antichrist in nature. Remember when I preached on the antichrist? False prophets? Come on. Go back and listen to it. It's up on, the, on the, the website. This explains why brilliant people will believe things that are completely irrational. For example, a fetus is not a baby, not human. The origins of these kinds of thoughts are often not logical and filled with reason. Instead, they're rooted in principalities, what the Bible calls the spirit of the power of the air. It's nearly impossible to reason with people out of their mindsets that they have their origins in evil spirits. Principalities are overcome through prayer, not through logic and reason. Look, this principalities describes why we have different cultures with different stereotypes. Come on, this isn't racism. This is just true. A principality affects what they believe, so they behave differently. How many people know the stereotypes of Canadians? Look, we can call ourselves the truth, right? Passive aggressive. Super polite. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Super polite, but not actually sincere. These are our stereotypes. We don't honk our horns when we drive and somebody cuts you off. Oh, sorry, that was my fault, eh? Right? Come on. I know you've done it like me. Okay? But here's the thing. We're affected by the principalities, or we can be affected, or we can choose to not be affected when we root our identity. But it's important when you identify the principality in your area to know that, repent of agreeing with it, and to move forward. So we're going to do that this morning. Can we do that this morning? Look, so here's the principality. Some of you are not going to like this word. It's an orphan spirit. Yeah, it's true. And this is the thing about an orphan spirit as a principality. It's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug. Here's how orphans are made. Rejection. Somebody leaves them, abandons them. How do we know this is real? Let me find my verse here. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of uh, adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. God reconciles, the devil distorts and separates. 
So God chooses to adopt us as children in the family of God. Amen? So if there's adoption, it's because there's orphans. Are you following me? Come on, only some of you. Do you understand? If the only reason there's a need for adoptions is because there's orphans and we need to be adopted. So orphans come from the spirit of rejection. Okay? We get rejected by someone or some, like some situation and we actually take on a spirit of rejection which opens a gateway to a spirit of offense which opens the gateway to the spirit of bitterness. Are you seeing this? Unforgiveness, all these things. Okay, so let me tell you what an orphan does versus what a son does. And I know I'm going to get into a little bit of what Jeff's, but I'm going to keep it really brief here, okay? Orphans take. Sons give as they have freely given. Orphans search constantly. Sons be still and know that he is God. Orphans compare and compete. The spirit of competition. Sons recognize our differences, strengths and weaknesses, and embrace them. Right? We're all different parts of the body. Orphans climb corporate ladders and step over people. Sons ride elevators. Can I elaborate that? Look, if you want to be at the top, this is what Jesus says, go and serve. You want to be me? Go push a broom for a while. When I first moved to Medicine Hat, we were paid nothing, and I cleaned toilets for months. Like, that's just like year eight of ministry, okay? Like, I had, like, before I was even vocational in ministry, I was doing ministry since I was a kid. Doing the lowest of the low, because when you're a kid in the evangelical world and you're 10, you don't get good positions in the church. doesn't matter how skilled you are at music. You don't get any of that glory. You work for it. I'm not saying that's right. But I'm saying I did learn what it meant to be a servant first. Look, I was a camp counselor for many, many years. Now I'm a father. You clean up poop and puke. You do it. Why? Because you want to love them. Because they deserve love. Amen? So orphans climb corporate ladders. What I mean is they have to step over people to get to the top. But the thing is about an elevator is you, even though you're at the top, you can go down and there's an open room and they step in with you. You go down to their level and then you raise them up with you. You don't climb over their head to get to the top. You go down to their level and you take them with you. This is how we are to operate in the kingdom. Are you with me? So we don't climb corporate ladders in the kingdom. Sons ride elevators. Orphans isolate and separate. Sons bring in, include, make the kingdom bigger. Here's what an orphan would say. Oh, I'm different than them. They reject you and you say, well, I'm different than them. I have the spirit of God. I'm prophetic. They'll never understand me. I don't ever have to be with them. That's not okay. Can I just say that? You're called as one member of the body. I'm just touching on prophetic, but maybe you're, maybe you're an evangelist and you've been abandoned because you love to bring people in and they just don't understand why you need to tell people about hell and tell them that there's a savior that loves them. It's like, you're like, why don't people get it? Why doesn't my pastor want to do more outreach? Because you're an evangelist and they're not. 
Like most of them are just shepherds. They just want to love you. And they're like, yeah, that's nice, but I just love you. Right? That's not who they are. But when you get rejected, because they're like, well, I can't come out with you because I'm actually afraid of telling people about Jesus. Because I, like, I love their hearts, but I'm just like a little bit afraid that they're going to be hurt by me telling them that there's hell. That's a shepherd's heart. I'm not saying that's the right position of a separate shepherd's heart, but it's a common position of the shepherd's heart. And then you get rejected because they don't want to go out with you. It's actually not about you. Are you with me? And you're not, you're not actually called to isolate. Okay, now, well, now, if I'm not like them, then I'm going to go find people like me. That doesn't mean you stay in an unhealthy church with an unhealthy leadership that doesn't support you and love you. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is we have to acknowledge we're all human here. We're all people. We all have faults. We all have weaknesses. We all have strengths. Are you with me? So we need to lean into those things. We need to lean in. And an orphan isolates, pulls away, gets to a little club, okay? And they say, okay, well, I'm not going to go to big church anymore because big church hurt me. So I'll have house church for the rest of my life. One pastor says it like this, house churches are wound-licking clubs. You might not like that word. Oh, big pastor with a big call, anointing apostolic who makes a big ministry, he hurt me. I'm not going back there. They're corrupt. Come on. Are they not members of the body as well? I know that's not a nice word, right? I'm not saying every, now don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying every situation where every pastor and every leader is rightly oriented What I'm saying is, is we have to have more mercy and grace for each other. How many people recognize that his mercies are new every morning? If if his mercies are new every morning for you, are they not for that pastor who hurt you? Look, can I touch a real close nerve? I know there's a lot of GPHers in the house. I know you're hurt. I've walked with you. I've heard your cries. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay, but his mercies are still new every morning for you and Antonio. Yeah, it's time, church. You want to see revival? Get revived. Fix the wounds in your heart. You are not an orphan. You're not abandoned. Look, here's the beauty of God, okay? When did Haven start? When did we get here? See you. Jeff, when did he say yes? Months later, after that all ended. Do you not think that that's the sovereignty of God right there? Like, come on. That's the sovereignty of God. You're missing a community and he replanted a new community in place of it. That's his grace. That's his mercy. He said, hey, there's a gap in my kingdom because one man fell. Whatever you want to think about that, doesn't matter. The ministry is no longer there as it was as a church. I can't have that. That's what the Lord said. I can't have that. So I'm going to bring new people. And he brought us out here. We didn't know any of that history. We just were obedient. We showed up. You're not orphans. You're not abandoned. Okay. So don't isolate yourself. Sons, bring in, include, make the kingdom bigger. Embrace each other's strengths and weaknesses. Orphans know everything and are the best at everything. Sons sit teachably under their masters, under fathers, under mothers. 
if you think you're the best at your gifting, can I point you? Like I was in the music world for a long time. The best musicians I ever interacted with, they know when they're not that great at something. Like I, I would make references, but most of you are not into jazz music from the 1940s. Like, because that's the world I lived in, or R&B. Okay, yeah, I'll make that reference. Michael Jackson is one of them. He knew he couldn't read music. He didn't try to. He'd bring other people in to transcribe what he sang. He worked with his weaknesses. He didn't try to fix them. He leaned into his strengths. And now we call Michael Jackson King of Pop. I know that's a worldly example, but he was a master, right? He was a master. We can look to Paul or anyone. I mean, even Jesus says, I only do what the Father is doing. Right? Are you with me? So sons sit teachably and humbly under those who are their masters and their experts. Okay. I'm going to invite the pastoral team up here and Janelle, wherever you are. We're going to do this together. And then I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We've already done this as a staff, but we're going to do it symbolically this morning to mark a new season. We're going to do this last week, but the service we knew was going to be too long. So please stand with us. If I've hit something, now here's the thing. What I'm not saying to you in this sermon is that you're demonized, possessed, or corrupt. Can you hear me in that? What I'm saying is that you've been influenced by the principality, the spirit of the air that has influenced you in this city or in this region. And what you've just done is you've been convicted and you're saying, ooh, ouch, I've done things like that. I've said things like that. I've made decisions because of this. And if you can recognize that, it means you've been influenced and agreed with the orphan spirit. And what we want to do today is publicly... We want to repent of that and move forward and mark a new season where we recognize the spirit of the air in this region and we say, we will not agree with you any longer. And what that doesn't mean is that you're going to be perfect. What it means is, is you're, going to, you're going to stumble again. You're going to be like me. You're going to make a decision from the orphan spirit and you're going to say, ooh, ouch, I just agreed with it again. But now you have the language and the vocabulary to combat it in prayer. Amen? Because it's not about anything else but prayer. Do you remember that Chris Valentin word? We don't combat that through flesh and blood. I don't go, oh, how dare you? Somebody else? No, that's orphan spirit again. It's somebody else's problem, not mine. It's my problem. I'm a son. I take ownership of my decisions. Are you with me? So this morning, our staff team is here because we've taken ownership of our decisions, the realities that we've lived in and the agreement unintentionally because we don't set out to manipulate people. How many people know that? Most people set out with pure motives, okay? We all do. But isn't it easy to judge somebody from their actions instead of their motivations when you want to be judged by your heart and not your actions? You unintentionally stumble and do something and it was from pure motives and you're like, oh, please don't judge me, <laughs> right? My motives were pure. It's like, but yet we judge other people assuming their motives based on their actions. Can we not get over that today, church? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. It's going to be super simple, okay? And then after I'm going to have the ministry team come up, if I've hit a deep nerve where you say, wow, man, I've been operating under this a lot more than I want to admit. 
and I want freedom this morning. I'm going to have the ministry team come up, and they're going to be here to pray for you for freedom this morning, okay? Because I believe today is your day of breakthrough in this. I believe that for you. But right now, all around this place, we're going to close our eyes, and we're going to repeat after me, staff. You ready? Father, I repent of agreeing with the orphan spirit, of making decisions as if I'm abandoned. Lord, I acknowledge that I've done things out of this and I've done it as if I'm not your son or daughter. And Lord, I ask right now for your forgiveness. And Lord, I thank you that it says in your word that all I have to do is ask and acknowledge this. Yeah. And right now over Haven, I just declare this. In the name of Jesus, we cut and sever all ties to the orphan spirit. We cut and sever all ties over our leadership team and over our people, those who are here and who are not here. We cut and sever all ties to the orphan spirit, all spirits of rejection, all spirits of hoarding and thievery, of content and bitterness and competition. We cut and sever all ties to that in Jesus' name. Yeah. And we thank you, Lord, that forgiveness and repentance is not actually about saying the things because it has to be said necessarily. It's as, it's as much about acknowledging the problem and moving forward. So I thank you that today marks the day at Haven that we move forward. Amen? Today marks the day in our own lives that we move forward, that we leave orphanism behind, that we are sons, we are daughters, and that's our position. Yeah, God, I thank you right now. I thank you for this, Lord, for this moment, for that word from a spiritual father. Lord, and I just pray this over our people right now, that they would have peace in their hearts. And if there's a stirring in them, Lord, to come and get more prayer, Lord, that you would just bring them up here. And Lord, that this would be a marking day, that this would be a marking day over our house as we enter into a season of knowing our identity so that we can expand the kingdom and be effective in our ministry that this would be the day that we flipped the tables on the stats, that, Lord, we would be 80% in motion and 20% doing nothing, that we would be 80% of the room would be big givers, not 20%, that we would be 80% involved in doing things in the kingdom and active members of this family, not 20%, and that, Lord, we would exceed that beyond it, Lord. We would be an anomaly in the world today, in North American churches. That people would come to us and say, whoa, the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. Behold, Haven, this is your season. Arise and shine. for you are sons and daughters of the Most High God, co-heirs with Christ. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you this day. 
And although there will be a great darkness over the earth, your light will shine brighter. Amen? Amen and amen. Minister team, if you want to come forward, if you want prayer this morning, even if it's not for the orphan spirit, if it's for something else, come and get prayer. We love to give you this opportunity to get ministry. Look, we don't want anybody here leaving with stuff that they need to take care of. We want you to go in your week free. Come on, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? Bless you as you go. Hopefully you go as an encouragement. It's a new season, amen? Come on, amen. Usually I give a benediction from the word, but just go in peace this week. Peace in your hearts knowing who you are. Amen. See you soon.